In the beginning of the Ragamuffin movie, the first thing that is said as the movie begins is from Brennan Manning, and it says, I am utterly convinced that on Judgment Day, the Lord will ask one question, and one question only. And that question is, did you believe that I love you? I have seen that movie so many times, and I have had a little bit of a, you know, kink to the side when I hear that, because I'm like, I don't know if he's only going to ask one question, and I get, you know, I get all these things in my head, overanalyzing, and and really just not even understanding why that would be, you know, something to ask, but as I have been just searching just man there's something in that there there's something to that that our religious minds are, are gonna have a hard time swallowing um, basically I've come to the realization that the, the Jesus uh, of the Bible who God is the father his character our Abba all that um, I grew up in church and didn't really get the picture that I'm getting now going through the Bible myself and so wow um, there's there's so much here I'm honestly having a really hard time deciding in some ways which which thing to even try to bring to you guys or, or talk to you about because there's so much revelation that I feel like God wants to get out there for people but I'm like when I was a little kid I was told to memorize the scripture and I couldn't even tell you the reference where it is right now I think it's in John somewhere talking about you know if you speak in the tongues of men and angels and you know have not love you're nothing if you you know if you do all these things under God you know if you if you speak but it says you you are a resounding gong and a clinging cymbal if you have not love so in doing this podcast, the last thing I want to be is a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal, an annoyance to uh, the people that are listening to me. I, I want to help bring the truth, and the truth is that God is love, and not only is he love to us, but he wants us to love others, and so... Um, you know, I've had a struggle as I've noticed people, you know, doing things so far off and whatever, you know, I'm like, God, I want to feel love <laughs> for people. I want to know what love looks like. What are, what are we talking about? You know, is it this fluffy little do everything everybody says thing or, or what is love? Obviously, if you look at the Bible and God is love, well, I don't think you can sum it up with, you know, just do, just do good all the time, okay? I mean, Jesus was our example of who the Father was, right? And the amount of controversy, um, his willingness to offend, 
you know, things like that. It's like, okay, if he is love, was he doing all that out of love? Okay. So here's the thing. It, it needs to be out of love. And how in the world can we love other people if we do not trust and understand God's love for us? And it's, it's just... It's really just a taboo subject anymore because everybody thinks they know that God is love. And we do. God is love and he loves us and that's fantastic, lovely, and we're so glad. But ultimately, the revelation of that, like the light bulb moment, is what is going to get us to a place of intimacy with Christ like we've never known before. And uh, in my last podcast, you know, I said, are we going to trust God? That was one of the phrases. And and the other one that I want to bring up is, who do we think we are? Who do we think we are to know better than God? So I feel like so many times, rather than understanding God's love for us, we actually tend towards, first of all, self-absorption. And we want to be righteous so bad that there's some kind of subconscious thing in us that makes us think in order to be righteous, we self-deprecate. We beat ourselves up for the things we we fail at. And can you get self-righteous through self-deprecation? Self-deprecation actually is a manifestation of self-righteousness, okay? Because if we were truly trusting God trusting his love in a way I cannot even (laughs) alright I'm going to read you this little I'm going to read you this little story Uh, this is out of the Ragamuffin Gospel by Brennan Manning page 121 Uh, this is from a a Bahamian priest I'm not sure how to pronounce that he related a story that captures the essence of biblical trust A two-story house had caught on fire. The family, father, and several children were on their way out when the smallest boy became terrified, tore away from his mother, and ran back upstairs. Suddenly, he appeared at the smoke-filled window, crying like crazy. His father outside shouted, Jump, son, jump. I'll catch you. The boy cried, But, Daddy, I can't see you. I know, his father called, but I can see you. So, can we jump if the smoke is is blocking our our human ability to see God? That's the level of trust I want to get at, personally. And, And I hope that many of you are in that same spot. I'm also going to read uh, a little more from this book, just so you can understand what I'm saying. So, preoccupation with self is always a major component of unhealthy guilt and incrimination. So this goes into the self-righteous stuff, okay? Self-deprecation. So this is a preoccupation with ourselves, okay? It stirs our emotions, churning in self-destructive ways, closes in upon the mighty citadel of self, leads to depression and despair, and preempts the presence of a compassionate God. Preempts the presence of a compassionate God sad that's tragic that's not freedom all right so the language of unhealthy guilt is harsh it is demanding abusing 
criticizing, think about this for yourself. Are you, are you criticizing yourself? Are you demanding too much of yourself? Rejecting, I'm sorry, rejecting, accusing, blaming, condemning, reproaching, and scolding. It is one of impatience and chastisement. Most of us are both of that with ourselves all the time. Impatient and you can chastise yourself for things you've done wrong. So Christians are shocked and horrified when they failed. Unhealthy guilt becomes bigger than life. The image of the childhood story of Chicken Little comes to mind. Guilt becomes the experience with which people feel the sky is falling. Yes, we feel guilt over sins, but healthy guilt is one which acknowledges the wrong done and feels remorse, but then is free to embrace the forgiveness that has been offered. Healthy guilt focuses on the realization that all has been forgiven and the wrong has been redeemed. Redeemed, wiped clean, okay? Continuing on, we all have uh, shadows and skeletons in our backgrounds. But listen, there is something bigger in this world than we are, and that something bigger is full of grace and mercy, patience and ingenuity. The moment of focus, I'm sorry, the moment the focus of your life shifts from your badness to his goodness, and the question becomes not, what have I done, but what can he do? Release from remorse can happen. Miracle of miracles, you can forgive yourself because you are forgiven. Accept yourself because you are accepted. And begin to start building up the very place you once tore down. There is grace to help in every time of trouble. That grace is the secret to being able to forgive ourselves. Trust it. That's still in the book. Trust it. Perhaps you've heard this story several years ago in a large city in the far west. Rumors spread that a certain Catholic woman was having visions of Jesus. The reports uh, reached to the archbishop. He decided to check her out. There is always a fine line between the the authentic mystic and the lunatic fringe. Is it true, ma'am, that you have had visions of Jesus? Asked the cleric. Yes, the woman replied simply. Well, the next time you have a vision, I want you to ask Jesus to tell you the sins that I confessed in my last confession. The woman was stunned. Did I hear you right, Bishop? You actually want me to ask Jesus to tell me the sins of your past? Exactly. Please call me if anything happens. Ten days later, the woman notified her spiritual leader of a recent apparition. Please come, she said. Within the hour, the archbishop arrived. He trusted eye-to-eye contact. You just told me on the phone that you actually had a vision of Jesus. Did you do what I asked? Yes, bishop. I asked Jesus to tell me the sins you confessed in your last confession. The bishop leaned forward with anticipation. His eyes narrowed. What did Jesus say? She took his hand and gazed deep into his eyes. Bishop, she said, these are his exact words. I can't remember. I can't remember. Reading on, Christianity happens when men and women accept with unwavering trust that their sins have not only been forgiven, but forgotten, washed away by the blood of the Lamb. 
we know all about the blood of the lamb do we believe really that it was good enough not just good enough more than enough overflowing with love for us to take away not just take away our sins but take away the guilt of our sins the 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 bondage of the guilt we're supposed to be walking in freedom so he goes on to say that a sad christian is a phony christian and a guilty christian is no christian at all why because we haven't accepted with complete childlike trust that we are forgiven oh no oh it says we got to obey the law we got to oh my we got to get we got to understand what the whole Bible is about we've, we've got to understand Jesus heart Jesus was sinless but he broke the Sabbath if we got to follow the law what in the world was he doing how is he sinless and yet he broke the law at the same time that's why the Pharisees were freaking out or, or religious leaders um <laughs> how can that be these are questions we need to when we're, when we're looking in the world we need to understand these things we need to ask God to show us how that can be. What I think he's showing me is because love, okay? So, it says the greatest commandment is love. Well, we better understand what that is, right? Love, uh, the Lord your God with all your soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as... The more accurate translation says, love your neighbor as you are aware of God's love for you. Okay? That changes a lot in that verse to understand that the original uh, version, the original scrolls, it was actually worded in that way. Not as you love yourself, but as you you understand his love for you. That's how you're supposed to love your neighbor. Man, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother thing. Okay, so then let's go to the golden rule. There's another love one. This stuff is crazy, guys. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And it continues on and says, all of the law and the prophets are summed up in this. All of the law. Okay, so you're talking about the whole Torah. The first five books, all the prophet books. So, man, we need to understand what do unto others is. This is heart. Heart behind who God is. That's why he could break a law and not be sinning is because he wasn't disobeying the Father. The Sabbath is to be kept holy. That's not a thing, but he was loving He was letting the Pharisees know, the disciples know, everyone know that it was, that the reason for the law is love, that it is more important to love, that the law is in place so that we can properly love. Like if we understood ourselves or that we ourselves are loved, then we would understand that the Sabbath is made for us to have the opportunity to rest in God and, and make priority on focusing on who he is all day, once a week, 
you know, years at a time for the, for our whole lives. So the Sabbath is in place because he loves us, not so that, you know, oh my goodness. So you say, well, we show our love to him by obeying. Yes, we do. Obeying what? What is all the law and the prophets summed up in? What is it summed up in? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Jesus' disciples were hungry. He showed them love by allowing one of the commandments, in a way, to be broken (laughs) so that their bodies could be restored, so that they could have what they needed because they were very hungry. You have to remember, these people were vagabonds. Okay, they're running around, don't have a place to lay their head. Who knows how long it had been since the last time they'd eaten. So, who are we to question how God acts about these things and what he allows? This is why the Holy Spirit is so important. This is why he's leading us into all truth. Because the truth, truth, love, freedom, hope, faith, those things... Are, are, are five characteristics of the true walk with Christ the Messiah. Not who's got it right, who's got it wrong, who can beat themselves up harder, who can, you know, come across the most humble, or who can be the biggest, baddest, strongest, building their kingdom the best. There is so many fallacies being taught in churches or online or and it's where is the heart of the father to us please let's not be like the pharisees the sadducees and all these things and miss the entire point jesus said that we had to rise above and be more righteous than they that did not mean make sure you follow the letter of the law more he's it meant make sure you understand the reason for the law The law was in place so that people could show love to each other and quit just, oh, I'm mad at this guy, so I'm going to murder him now. You have to understand, there was not Western civilization when the law was given. The law was given so that love could be fulfilled. We are not slaves to the law. And don't hurt the messenger, okay? Those are words from Paul. We are not slaves to the law. We have the privilege of understanding that love is the reason for the law, that it has been completed, and as soon as we accept and receive that gift, we might truly be able to obey his commandments, which would be to love our neighbor as ourselves and love do unto others as we want them to do to us. Okay? I know I can come across intense about stuff, but I, I feel strongly about it, and I, I don't want the church, the bride, body of Christ, to miss the whole point. Love. Okay? Love. <sighs> Thanks for putting up with me, guys. I appreciate you listening, and we'll see you next time.